Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. There's a weight that must be lifted. There's a trophy to be won. Good morning. Welcome to Pleasant Hill. So glad that we can be here together. It is a wonderful Independence Day weekend. I know we've got uh, plans, and I just want to go ahead and invite you to be part of those plans right from the beginning. Let me just go ahead and say, I'll say this again at the end, I'm sure, uh, but I pray that you have a safe Independence Day weekend. Uh, but we I want to invite you to come up be part of the Six Mile Celebration tomorrow. Uh, Pleasant Hill will be up passing out cotton candy and little flyers on one side have information about the church, one side have simple gospel presentation that we're passing out, and uh, we're excited to be part of that ministering here in our community. And so if you'd like to come up and take part in the festivities from 4 o'clock to 9 o'clock, fireworks at 9, you come up and be part of that in 6 Mile. If you want to come up and help pass out can't, uh, cotton candy and, and just greeting people in our community, you come be part of that as well. We're also going to be putting together cotton candy bags here following the service. Uh, if you want to come help us do that, you can do that as well. Uh, but we already have several, I believe, that are helping. Uh, but you can come be part of that and drop in as well on that. I'll share some other announcements uh, here in a moment. But if you would, open your Bible again to Mark. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read this together again in just a moment. But I want to make a few uh, comments first. First of all, thank you to... Uh, Landon and Mark uh, leading our music this morning. Ella had been gone all week, and so that's why Landon, so talented, was on the keyboard here this morning. Uh, Lily and uh, also was not able to rehearse because they had a bit of a tragedy, um, but we're so grateful. I just want to give this update for those who may not have heard. Of course, I've been praying about Hunter, and, and I, was, I never want to embarrass Hunter, but I'm just so grateful if you would not heard, or many of you had heard, of course, by now, but the accident that he had... But it, I'm just so grateful to hear that it was not worse. And I'm just so glad that he's able to be here this morning. Uh, and uh, just I know his family, Lily, is as well. We all are. Uh, but I was listening to, to Christy telling me how didn't know. And Christy, I didn't say this to you at the time, but I'm just going to say this now. Didn't know how Mark, after or Hunter rather, after he had been pinned between that tree and that truck while working uh, with a one arm not working at all and a collarbone broken and not sure what else was going on inside his body was able to drive that truck back home and uh, whether it be adrenaline and all these kind of things and i just simple answer christy just the grace of god is what it was uh to protect him and allow him to get back to where he could be found and taken to where he needed to go and so we certainly want to be praying for hunter pray for tyler as well as he also was in an accident as you know and he's still recovering uh, we'll mention, of course, pray for Marianne and Jimmy. Uh, they were doing fairly well, but Marianne's hips just giving her so much trouble. So pray for her. And then pray for Jerry and Elaine. And I know there's others we need to pray for as well, but these are just ones that in my mind, my heart this morning, I want to give you an update about. Elaine was back in the hospital again. Her blood sugar has just been up and down. And so just pray for them uh, this morning, if you would. 
If you found your place in Mark, we're going to read in just a moment, but let me just say this. One of the benefits, if you've been following along here with me at Pleasant Hill, most of the eight-plus years I've been here, I've tried to preach book by book or verse by verse for the most part. There's times that we'll get off on a topic or we'll get off because of a holiday or we'll get off Mother's Day, Father's Day, different things. But for the most part, I like to preach through the Bible, verse by verse, and through books. And we've been in the book of Mark for over a year now uh, doing that very thing in the gospel of Mark. Uh, one of the benefits of preaching through the Bible this way is that I know, in my own planning, I know unless God just says, hey, I want you to share this, where I'm going to be each week. I pray a long time about where to preach at, starting the book of Mark, and, and then therefore each week I know. I finished up there, so unless I didn't get to finish those thoughts, I'm moving on to the next section of verses. And so that's what we're doing this morning, and that's a huge benefit to me, knowing where I'm going to be, for the most part, each and every week. It also allows us, or forces us, we could say, to focus on the whole counsel of God. In other words, preach the whole message, not just pick and choose the easy passages or the fun passages or what we consider the exciting passages or just the uplifting passages, but the whole counsel of God, not just topics that I might want to deal with or I think that you might want to hear, it forces us because a lot of times we read and we, we study those familiar passages or those fun passages about David and Goliath or Samson and, and, and his mighty strength or whatever it might be, Gideon, and, and all those are wonderful. Jonah, all those, again, while not an uplifting message perhaps, the story of Jonah, certainly a needed one, but sometimes we want to pick and choose. When I preach verse by verse, I can't do that. It's just come to a topic. I've got a, or a section of scripture, I have to deal with it. And so therefore, I'm not going to call it a, it's not a downside, but it forces us to focus on sections of scripture that are not as popular, not as fun, if you will, uh, that are hard, that are hard to hear, that are hard to preach. But they're there because God wants us to know that verse, that section of Scripture, just like he did about David and Goliath or just about Gideon or just about whatever favorite story you have in the Bible. And I say all that because this week and, Lord willing, next week in particular, we get to find two of those fun passages. I'm going to be dealing on the seriousness of sin this week. And then next week, the topic or the section of Scripture, if you look ahead into chapter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 10, the first thing we talk about is divorce. And I'm telling you, there are two topics that are not popular preaching in the world today, in churches today. Preachers that will avoid such topics as this, and I'm glad that here we are sharing this as hard as it was for me this week and as hard as it's going to be to talk about next week and for us to hear because they're not necessarily the uplifting, just encouraging, although there is encouragement and uplift in every passage, and certainly I want you to see that this morning. So if you would, uh, hold your Bible up over your head, and we're going to say this together. 
Now, in, in your bulletin, it says, this is God's word. I'm going to change that. I think it's a little bit easier to say, this is the word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it by the grace of God. So just change that a little bit. This is the word of God. Ready? This is the word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it by the grace of God. Let's read in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 42. Verse 42 says this, And whosoever shall offend me, or shall, shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today. Father, as we look at these difficult passages, Father, these passages that often we look at and we say, ooh, that's tough, or that's hard, or that's discouraging, or God, I don't quite understand what that's saying, and we sometimes tend to avoid these. But God, I pray that you'd help us through your Holy Spirit to understand and apply it to our life, that we would get a sense of just how serious sin is, just how serious hell is, and Father, that it would motivate us in our love for you and what you did for us, and Father, through your love to motivate us to share the good news with others, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to keep in mind as we share this passage, the whole context of what is going on. By that, I mean last week we just talked about the topic in the verses before, what will you do for Jesus? And I think it's important that we have that in our mind's eye, what will you do for Jesus, because we are talking about what you do for Jesus doesn't have to be hard, but it is important. What you do for Jesus ought to be done for everybody. You don't have to pick and choose, do it for everybody. We don't have to argue about some of the minutia of what we believe, in other words, some of the things that really probably don't matter all that much, especially when compared to the main thing, which is Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and we all need to have Jesus Christ as our Savior and repent of sin and put our faith in Him so that we can go to heaven. That's the main thing. That's what, again, they were talking about people that were not part of them, not with them, ministering in Jesus' name, and He said, don't forbid them, don't prevent them, but do for me what you will do and you will not lose your reward. And then in saying that, he says, because whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, it's 
better off basically that you had never been born because it's better that you have a millstone hung around your neck and cast in the sea than to do that. And so therefore it's saying, listen, do for me, don't prevent or don't discourage people from believing in me. Do for me so that people will believe in me, spread the message of the good news of the gospel, tell people about what I've come to do and what I am going to do, and for us, what he did do and what he will do. Don't discourage them, don't prevent them, don't keep them from following me. And so therefore, it is a serious thing, sin. Because that's what he's dealing with. Sin is a serious thing as it relates to others, as it relates to ourselves, and as it relates to judgment in hell. I want you to see all three things this morning. Number one, I want you to see it is serious as it relates to others. And by that I mean, he says in verse 42, whoever will offend one of these little ones that believe in me, that's bad. That's bad. It's better that you threw yourself in the ocean with a millstone around your neck. And you say, well, what's a millstone? I don't understand millstone. The millstone was the top stone that would grind at the mill. And they would have a mule or a horse that would, or, or oxen that would pull that millstone. In other words, it was a large stone. It'd be better that you take that and hang that on a chain around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than to harm one of these little ones, or offend one of these little ones. Now, I want to talk for a moment about that word offend. For years growing up, we all, I always thought and heard it taught that offending, or there's another place for talk, some places translate it, hurting one of these little ones. And I always thought about the fact of somebody that would do physical harm. But that's really not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is to offend means to lead astray or to discourage from believing. In other words, the little ones here is not just talking about children, although it could mean children, but it's also talking about, as we talked about last week, when he's talking about children here, is talking in context about the least of these, and he's using children in comparison. They are the least of the, in other words, they are the ones, not that they don't matter, but they're not the businessman. They're not the president. They're not the business owner. They're not the government official. They're not whatever. They're not the super one that we say, oh, we got to impress them. The least of these, the little ones. And so the, 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 the children here that we're talking about, these little ones, is talking about those that perhaps were on the fringe of believing, or little children that in their mind, they sang the song. And again, we to put this in today's context, Jesus loves the little children. They come to Sunday school, and you ask that little child, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. And they've not yet really perhaps completely understood. They not perhaps have put their faith in Jesus as far as made a conscious decision because perhaps they're not old enough to understand yet but they're there and that yes I believe in Jesus and yes I want to follow Jesus and one day they're going to have to make that decision whether they really are or not but he's saying those kind of people the ones that are on the fringe or the ones that are just beginning don't keep them from putting their faith in me that's the idea of offending them our sin our lives, the way we live our lives, 
is so serious that it is better for you to throw yourself in the deepest part of the sea than for you to do anything that would discourage or prevent someone from coming to Christ, putting their faith in Christ. We say, well, what a terrible thing. How awful to throw yourself. So is he, is he talking about suicide here? Is he talking about doing yourself harm? Again, don't take it literally in the sense of what's better off literally for you to kill yourself. But in reality, a person who would prevent someone from coming to Jesus is going to have a punishment that is severe. A lost person that would say, hey, listen, and by the way, let me just go ahead and point this out. This is what is going on in the world today. There are people, in case you've not been watching your news, in case you've not been paying attention to what's going on in the media, in the world today, that are trying to discourage children from ever having a chance to put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is how serious it is. In case you did not notice, now listen, when I say this, I understand that the people that were chanting this are saying it tongue-in-cheek or trying to be sarcastic. But at the same time, it's reality. How many of you watched, if you saw, they had a parade up in New York. And in that pride parade they had, they said, they chanted the words, we're queer, we're here, and we're coming for your children. We're queer, we're here, we're coming for your children. Now, they didn't literally mean, I don't think most of them literally mean, hey, we're going to come get them. Because what they're saying is, y'all think we're out to get your children. But as Christians, we're, I'm not concerned that they're out to kidnap my children. What I'm concerned about is they're out to dissuade my children from the things that I'm teaching them. Or the children that we have that are in the, our children, our grandchildren, the children that we're teaching, the children that we come across and we have a chance to have an influence for Christ. They're trying to discourage them from that. Those who have not made up their mind about Jesus, they're trying to discourage them by saying, no, you don't have to believe the Bible. You can listen. It's better off that you believe this way, the world's, the world's way. Believe whatever you want way. Oh, my friends, how serious it is. And here's the thing for us as believers. We have to be careful. We talked last week about how we're either gathering or we're scattering through our actions. And that's what he's getting across here. It's better that you better be gathering. Don't be scattering because it's better that you threw yourself in the deepest part of the sea. Don't lead astray. Don't discouraging the least of these. Yes, children, but the spiritually fringe, those who have, they're, 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 maybe they maybe they're, haven't made up their mind yet, maybe they're leaning towards, maybe, you know what, I've got questions about that. And then someone comes in and says, no, that's not real. Don't believe that. Oh, no, you can choose this way. Oh, everybody's going to heaven, or there is no heaven, or whatever their philosophy might be, but to discourage people from coming to Jesus Christ. And we must be careful. This is how serious it is. And so it's serious as it relates to others that we would be a stumbling block that's literally what he's talking about, that you would put yourself as a stumbling block to people 
who are coming to Jesus. Later, he says, suffer the little children to come to me. In other words, let them run. And in my mind, don't you listen. When you picture in your mind Jesus, when you pick, in fact, let's do this. Close your eyes just for a moment, all right? Close your eyes, and I want you to picture, and again, I wasn't there literally, neither were you, neither, neither was anybody else that's alive today. But when I read about Jesus saying, bring the little children to me, I picture him sitting in a chair somewhere. I picture him sitting or standing somewhere and the little children running to him and him picking him up in his arms and just loving on him and hugging him and letting him know they're so loved. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what, where they come from. It doesn't matter uh, how smart they are, how good looking they are, or how good looking they're not, what their handicap is, what their sports or physically or athletic ability is, what their intelligence is, what their money situation from their families is. It does not matter. He just loves them. Do you see it? And here's what it's saying. Don't be the one that's sticking out your foot, tripping them as they run to Jesus, blocking them as they run to Jesus. Say, no, 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 don't, don't go that way. Go the other way. Don't be one of those. It's that serious. But it's also serious as it relates to self. Don't, please, listen, don't be one that would discourage somebody else from coming to Jesus, but even perhaps in some ways more important, because that child, that little one, that least of these, will still have to make a decision for themselves. We ought to be the ones that are putting every stepping stone we can so that the least of these, our children, our grandchildren, others who have never heard before, others who haven't made up their mind yet, others who maybe perhaps could be convinced or persuaded that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for them. Oh, listen, we ought to be putting every stone, every paving, every sidewalk, every road, every path, every time we point ought to be to Jesus and just how much he loves and wants them to be a part of his family. But ultimately, the least of these will still make a decision for themselves. Number two thing he's saying is, listen, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. If thy foot offend thee, verse 45, cut it off. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Well, what is he saying? It's the seriousness of sin as it relates to self. Don't let your... Now listen, don't... He's not saying, Christian, the thing that you do is going to cause you to lose your salvation. I don't believe that. He's talking about you in deciding for yourself. Don't let your hand, your foot, your eye lead you to a place where you would not have your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what is a hand? The hand's talking about things that you would deliberately do. Now, by the way, these also all relate back to the others because as a Christian, we need to be careful that what I do with my hands, what I do with my actions, is not discouraging people from coming to Jesus. But the things that I would physically, deliberately do, that's the idea of the hand. We're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We ought to be. We ought not to be the hands and the feet of the devil. And when we give in to temptation, when we give in to sin, that's exactly what we're doing. We're being the hands and the feet of the... We're allowing him. He no longer controls us, but we're allowing him to persuade us, 
we're allowing him to, to direct us. Eve was enticed and she gave in to the temptation of that serpent, the devil, in the garden. Oh, listen, that we would not deliberately do things. He says, this is how serious it is so that you don't go to hell. Now listen, before I go that direction, let me help you understand this. Jesus is not saying here that what you do with your hands or your feet or your eye will be the reason you go to hell. The reason you go to hell is because you have sin in your heart and you've rejected the saving grace of Jesus in washing you clean of your sin. So therefore, the root of our sin comes from the heart. So he's not saying, hey, if you cut off your hand, that'll, that'll get you into heaven. Or if you cut off your foot, that, that will help you get into heaven. What he's saying is, is it's, this is how serious sin is. We look at sin sometimes and we laugh. We look at sin sometimes and we say, well, that's not so bad. We look at sin sometimes and we say, well, you know, that's just, that's, that, you know, sometimes I'm going to sin. Now listen, the lost person cannot help but sin. That doesn't mean we ought to laugh at it. That doesn't mean that we ought to embrace it or applaud it or accept it. Well, you just can't help it. They can't help it. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have a new nature. They don't have, a, they're not a new creation in Christ yet. And if you're here today and you've never been saved, then you can't help but sin. Now, once we're saved, we don't have to, but sometimes we do. But if we understood just how serious it is, perhaps by the grace of God, by the strength of God, by the mercy of God, we would not as often as we do. He said, cutting off your hand or cutting off your foot. Well, the foot is where you deliberately go. Listen, not just that, don't let the things that I do either keep me from trusting Jesus or keep somebody else, but don't let the places I go, my feet take me where I go. Where are you going? What are you doing? Now, what are you doing, but where are you going? Sometimes it's the places that we go that lead us into trouble. Where our feet take us, it leads us into trouble. And he's saying it's better that you cut your hand off than for you to enter into life. Well, what's he talking about life? He's not talking about this life. It's better that you cut off your hand and enter into the next life. It's better that you cut off your hand that allows somebody else to have a chance to enter into the next life than it is for you to go in with two hands. It's better for you to have one foot and limp into the next life. Now, here's the thing. When we get to heaven... Are we going to have, is, is there anybody that's going to have one hand? No. Is there anybody that's going to have one foot? No. Is there anybody that's going to have one eye? No. And again, it's not literal. But this, the, the reality is this. this the, the, the analogy or the illustration he's giving it is this is how serious it is. If it would save you, cut off your hand. If it would save you, cut off your foot. If it would save somebody else, give up whatever you have to give up. The eye is talking about that which we see, of course, and it's talking about the lust 
of the eyes. One of the main things that leads to a pride of life, one of the main things that leads us to sin is we see and therefore we want or we see things that we ought not to see. We see things that we ought not to have. We see things that we ought not to, places we ought not to go. And so therefore he's saying, listen, this is how serious it is. It'd be better for you to pluck out your eyes so that you don't see those things. Lastly, I want you to see that it's so serious because hell is absolutely a real place. I hear people tell me all the time, well, Jesus didn't really talk about hell all that much. Jesus didn't talk about uh, certain things all that much, so that could they really be all, all that serious? He uses the word hell here. That's the word we have translated. In, 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 the, in the original language, it's Gehenna. Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place and so therefore people say, well, he wasn't talking about a hell of fire and brimstone and judgment like you're thinking of. He's talking about a place that was south of Jerusalem, and it's where they would go and they would burn trash. And so it's simply illustrative. It's not really a literal place. Well, the word Gehenna is used, by my account, 12 times in the New Testament, uh, 11 of them are used by Jesus. He talked about it a lot. And for those of you that have listened to me for very long, you've been taught by me over and over again when you see a phrase that is repeated over and over again in a passage, what should we do? Someone tell me. I know it's Sunday morning, but somebody tell me. When we see a passage is repeated over and over again, what should we do? Pay attention. Thank you. Pay attention. This is critically important. And so therefore, he says here, now not just about cutting your hand off or cutting your foot off or cutting your eye out, but he's saying after each one of these, he's saying then to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45 than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In verse 47 it says, Then go on to, then have two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Oh, my friends, it's over and over and over again. Now, let me go back to this. Hell is the word Gehenna. You say, well, then, is he talking about a place where the trash was burned? Yes. Is he talking about a place where there's literal fire that we're judged forever and ever if we haven't trusted in what Jesus Christ did in the cross? Yes. See, here's the thing. When you read your Bible and study your Bible, you find this. And, and if you're reading along with us on our chronological reading, you haven't gotten to this place yet, but you're going to. So in a few weeks, pay attention, because you're going to come to 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 3. Turn there if you would. 2 Chronicles 28. A little history lesson for you. You wonder why. You say, well... God was pretty serious about Israel. What does Israel do that was so bad? Well, they worshiped false gods. They broke the covenant. They did not keep up their end of the covenant. You say, well, yeah, but how bad was it really? Gehenna, in this 
Valley of Hinnon is where it was at, just south of Jerusalem. And the first time we come across Gehenna, this valley of, uh, 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 valley of Hinnon, just south of Jerusalem, we find that the wicked king Ahaz of Judah, he was a wicked king of Judah, and we read in verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now remember, this is after the kingdom had split. Samaria in the northern kingdom, the ten, the ten tribes, and then two tribes in the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, so we're talking about Judah now. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. In other words, he didn't do right like David did. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, because Israel only had wicked kings. Judah had a few godly kings. And he made molten images to Balaam. And moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Talking about the Canaanites, they had sacrificed their children to their false gods by burning them on the altar alive. And this king, which by the way is why God cast out the Canaanites and gave the land to Israel. But this also was what the Israelites, or in this case the Judahites, were doing. They were burning their children alive. This king burned his children alive as an offering to false gods. Now, that's what the first mention of this place was. Now, there, there was uh, 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 King jo uh, Joash, uh, I'm sorry, Josiah rather, was a godly king of Judah, and he went and tore down the altar that was to the god of fire there in the valley of Ammon, and he would burn refuge, and therefore desecrating that temple to the false god, which was a good thing. He said, not only am I going to tear it down, I'm going to make it into a burn pit for our refuse and for our trash and for our sewage. And therefore, it will never again be used to offer sacrifices to a false god. And so therefore, the godly king Josiah did that, and that's where Gehenna now is the time is we're reading about where Jesus is talking about. That's where they would burn their trash. But he's not talking about, he's using that as the illustration because the fire would constantly burn. They were constantly burning trash. It was constant smolder. It was, and there where the worm doesn't die. In other words, what he's talking about was this is how serious it is when it relates to judgment. Not only is it a real place of hell, and it was a place of where they sacrificed children to false gods and now trash, but also the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. You say, well, what's the point of all that? It was a place of great wickedness and a place of great suffering. That's what hell will be. And he's drawing the picture. He's putting the two together. Everything nasty that you can think of. Trash, 
sewage that was burned there. But also the wickedness and the vileness of what they did before, everything evil is going to be there. That is what hell is. Hell is going to be a place where there is nothing good whatsoever. There's no love, there's no kindness, there's no mercy, there's no grace, there's nothing there. And it's literal fire that never stops. And so therefore you suffer from a literal fire, a literal burning, constantly. But also you never die because the worm does not die. That's the picture he's making. Nothing dies there. But also it's a vile place, and not only is there nothing good or godly there, but everything is, that is wicked because everybody that is there chose to reject God. Chose. I know we don't like to hear it this way, but Pete, God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves to hell. Why would God make somebody that you reject me and you hate me and, and you want nothing to do with me, and therefore I'm going to make it so that you have to be with me forever? No. These people don't want anything to do with God. And they reject the truth. And this is not popular preaching. This is not common preaching. But I'm telling you, hell is real. And I'm telling you, hell is awful. And hell is the worst place, not just because of the burning and the not dying and the torture and the punishment and the anguish. In other places, it talks about the gnashing of teeth because you're hurt so bad that you just gnaw on your own gums and tongue but everything there is wicked and evil and hateful. And not only that, but because of that, there is nothing, and this is the worst part of hell, in my mind, as bad as it is. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm out of time. I, I realize that, and so I want to finish this up. But as bad as it is to get burned, Tracy, the other day, uh, I put some uh, uh, French fries in the toaster oven, and I walked up, I was also doing something on the grill, and I left them and forgot about them. And Tracy saw that they were starting to burn, and she put her hand in, and in an effort to get them out, she burnt her hand just a little bit. You ever burn your hand just a little bit? I think that's a misnomer. I don't know if that's the right word or not. There's no such thing as a little bit of a burn. Uh, and here, here, the worst part about burning yourself to me, and I've never been burnt real, real bad. But the worst part about the little burn, and I can only imagine it's bad for a worser burn. That's not good English, but a worser burn. Anytime, Tracy, you got that burn near heat, what happened? It burned. I mean, you don't even have to get close. Just a little bit of heat, and it burned. I used to work at Burger King. It was my first real job, I guess. And I remember one time burning my hand on the grill. And actually, one time I stuck my hand in the oil without thinking. And then every time I got close to that grill, that heat source. Your hand would just burn. It hurts so bad. And here you're going to be in hell, a real place, and you're going to be burning, and yet at the same time just being close to the heat's going to make it burn all the more. But the worst part, and that's bad, but the worst part is to be absent from the presence of God 
and everything that God is, love and goodness and kindness and power and mercy and grace and every single thing that we can think of that's pleasant and pleasing and wonderful and beautiful, absent from that forever because of sin. That's how serious it is. That ought to motivate us. Not listen, if you're here today, if you're in the sound of my voice today, if you're watching today and you've never, listen, that's why God sent his son. He said, I don't want you to go there. I didn't prepare that place for you. That's not for you. That's for the devil. That's for his demons. That's who that's for. I don't want you to go to that place. Please, I'll send my own son to pay the price for you. I'll put Jesus on the Jesus Christ on the cross and he'll take all the sin on him if you would just believe and just repent. Oh, I want to be with you. That's how serious it is. The last part, I don't have time to get into the whole thing with the last part, but he talked about salt and saltiness. But I want to point out one phrase as I finish this. One phrase that I want you to look at. Verse 49, for everyone shall be salted with fire. Everyone. Everyone's going to be salted with fire. Now, I don't have time to get into the salt and all that, what that meant and how they seasoned their, or they, that they couldn't put certain things on their sacrifices and so forth and so on. I don't have time to get into that this morning. But I understand this. What does it mean that everyone's going to be seasoned with fire or salted with fire? Everybody. You're either going to choose Jesus and therefore go through the fire now, meaning suffering, go through, uh, go, go through tribulation, go through, go through persecution now, because it's not easy to live for Jesus. Or you'll reject God and you'll go through the fire later. Everyone faces the fire. Not the judgment of God. But if I could put it this way, you'll face the judgment of man if you follow Jesus. You'll go through that fire. But it'd be better for you to cut off your hand, your foot, your eye, and face that fire than to face the fire of hell. Oh, my friends, please. I feel like Paul sometimes went up here preaching and he's talking to Agrippa and he says, I know that you, listen, I know that you want to believe. Agrippa, will you not just believe? Talking to the king, would you not just believe? Please believe. I'm begging you to believe. He even said at one point about others, he said, if I could give up my own salvation. Now, I'm not saying that. All right, God has not given me the, the, led me the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I'd give up my salvation. But that's how serious it was for Paul. If I could give up my own salvation so that you would have it, I would do it, Paul said. That's how serious it is. And I would beg you today, please don't walk out of here. Please don't turn off your computer screen. Please don't turn off your audio stream without understanding just how much God loves you. With understanding just how wicked the sin is, that he has to judge it and destroy it. 
And if it's attached to you, you'll be judged as well. But you can unattach it by giving it to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for what you did taking my sin on yourself. I didn't plan it this way, but it's Independence Day weekend. Freedom. But when you've turned to Jesus Christ and said, thank you, I believe you're the only way. And God, thank you for the gift of salvation and I repent of my sin. Then you are free from the threat, from the fury, from the judgment of hell. Oh, if you're here today and you've not, if you're listening, you've not, please, won't you believe? today and for those of you that are Christians won't you please tell somebody how they can stay out of a place that's real like hell let's pray father I pray that you'd help us today God I help us pray that you'd help us to understand just how serious our sin is and just how real hell is and God that we would never ever ever do anything to discourage or prevent or block somebody else. Not by what we do, not by where we go, not by what we see, not by what we say, not by how we live. But God, that we would do what we would do for you to gather to your waiting arms. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.